Set down your sleepy water and your Mr. Whistle. Take off that raincoat and grab a cold beer. It's time to have a real talk about pediatric dentistry. You're listening to Bruise and Tiny Teeth, the unfiltered pediatric dentistry podcast. What's up, Bruise and Tiny Teeth fam? It's your boy, Casey Getz, checking in. Today, my guest on the podcast is Kent Miller of Dentographics. Now, if you've done a startup, you're probably going to be familiar with the company Dentographics. Uh, they've got a, a really cool product, and I'm going to make a disclaimer. I'm not sponsored by Dentographics. I just thought it might be cool to have a conversation uh, from somebody in the industry who does this every single day talking about where does it make sense to start a practice right now? What areas of the country is there a lot of opportunity? And what areas tend to be kind of overly competitive and saturated? And so Kent Miller is one of the founder of Dentographics. They have a company that does kind of advisory and has a, um, they have some software, they have a variety of products and reports that you can buy and hire their services for that will kind of give you insight on, on the prospects of how successful an office might be in a given area. So um, really cool business, really nice guy, had a great conversation with him. So if you are interested in maybe either starting a practice or expanding to a new location, or maybe you're an established practice owner and you just want to kind of get a pulse on where a pediatric dentist moving to right now, this is going to be an episode that sheds some light on that. So everybody enjoy the episode, crack a cold one. Cheers. We'll stay in touch. Thank you guys. Perfect. Well, Ken, I, I can say this is the first time I've ever had a, a guest on that's um, not a dentist and not uh, like a finance CPA because there's a lot of those in dentistry, you know. Mm -hmm. So I've been I, I've been looking forward to this conversation just because, as we were talking about before we got rolling here a second ago, um, a lot of startup dentics, uh, dentists, residents, dental students that want to own their own practice listen to the podcast, and I get a lot of people reaching out, you know, asking me to look at office designs and um, different business plans and things like that. And uh, the demographic topics one that comes up a lot. So, um, so with, with all that being said, I appreciate you carving out a little time to to talk shop and talk demographics and tell us a little bit more about demographics and, and your background. So I appreciate your time coming on the podcast and hang out with me. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Um, a little bit of background about myself and demographics. We are a market analysis company specific to the dental industry. So a lot of our clients are those who are looking to start or buy their first practice. Although we certainly work with people who already have an office or even groups and DSOs who have um, a much larger footprint. And what our goal is, is to help you find the best area for you to practice in. So we specialize in that market analysis, um, looking at demographics, looking at competition. Um, and yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, <clears throat> tell me about your background with the company or have you, you know, I, I, I don't know a lot about the company, the size, where it's located, but what's the backstory behind the origination of the company? Sure. Yeah. So funny that you mentioned um, CPAs and, and that sort of thing at the beginning of the call, uh, because while I'm certainly not a CPA and I, I don't have any kind of financial background, I actually think that we share probably a lot in common. We are you know, in the technical space um, and we like numbers. Um, my background actually is that uh, I studied urban planning and I worked in urban planning uh, after I got my graduate degree, after my master's, um, basically what I was doing was uh, I was working for a nonprofit that would be contracted by cities to say, okay, we've got all these commercial vacancies in this one particular neighborhood. What kinds of businesses can we encourage to open in those markets? 
So we would get our hands on any kind of data or research uh, that would indicate, okay, you know, a grocery store or something along those lines, a hardware store might be good in this market. We would conduct interviews with residents and we'd ultimately propose recommendations to cities. Um, that was about 10 years ago. So I, I am one of the founders of Dentographics. And uh, I had a buddy working in the dental industry who said, hey, you know, um, I know you're kind of looking to make a move. Um, why don't you give it a try in the dental space? So I kind of just started learning everything I could about the dental industry and what was important to a dental practice. Uh, and now here we are 10 years later. Uh, and actually, the company is based out of Cleveland. Um, myself, I live in New York City, although I'm currently in Baltimore. We're um, in the process of moving to Baltimore uh, later this year. Cool. So, you know, how uh, how did, you know, I guess for listeners that aren't familiar with Denographics that haven't gone through the startup process, you know, before we get into the weeds, we, you give like a quick high-level overview of like the services that you guys do. Most of us that have done startups are probably familiar with your services, uh, but then I wanted to kind of get a little bit more into how you like develop the software because obviously, you know. 10 years, you guys have really dialed this in, have a really cool product, but, um, explain what, and you, I'm going to butcher it if I do it. So tell us like about your product and what Denographics does and all that good stuff. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, it's evolved a little bit over the years. Um, but currently we have just three different products. So there are two types of product. One is a custom report and, um, this represents about half of our business, but this is somebody who comes to us and says, I have a really specific problem. And I want you to answer that question for me. So we think of it kind of as our consulting service. Somebody who says, hey, I'm in the Baltimore area and I want to start a pediatric dental office or I'm in the Atlanta area or wherever and I want to start a pediatric dental practice. Where is the best place to do that? We produce about a 15 page customized study. Um, when I say customized, I mean it's customized to your practice strategy and your target patient base and your exact areas of interest. So if you know, hey, I don't want to practice um, south of this area, or I don't want to practice in downtown, that's fine. We'll, we'll customize that geography for you. Um, we have a second product uh, or a second report type that's called our single site study. This is for somebody later in that search process who says, I've got a specific space. It's at 123 Main Street. I'm thinking about buying a practice at this address. That's actually pretty common. Or um, I saw this space as a potential startup location. Is this a good location for me? And we'll study the market surrounding just that one location, ultimately giving it a rating somewhere between very weak and very strong. This one's about a 30-page PDF document. Um, I mentioned there's another uh, uh, product type that we offer, and that is our software that you touched on there, uh, which is designed to help uh, start all the way at the highest level from maybe I went to school in Florida, but you know my wife is from Texas, but... For some reason, we really want to live in California and you know, we're exploring what's available there. So really, really high level searches comparing states down to counties, down to areas, and then even specific addresses. Uh, and it's kind of an on-demand DIY uh, platform, obviously, as the software to indicate. Gotcha. What kind of... Uh... What kind of volume are you guys doing now? I mean, 10 years, you've, you've got a good reputation. Like how many startups or how many of these reports are you doing? I mean, it's maybe hard to quantify, but like what, what massive volume of, of, of work yeah. are you doing here? So we work across specialties, um, not just pediatric dentistry, general dentistry, endodontist, um, everybody. Uh, but we work with a couple doctors every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, so then when you guys got together, you know, you, one of the co-founders, you said, um, the... I guess most of your product lies in the software and it seems like a very techie, um, 
business here, but like what, what went into actually creating this? You know, I, I don't know if I have, what am I trying to ask? I think I'm trying to ask, like, I don't have a grasp on when you guys are doing these reports. Is this a software that you guys created that you can kind of plug in different variables and it'll spit out these reports? Or is a lot of this done just via sheer manpower, like, like Google searches getting on there? Like what, which of the two routes is, do you guys use to come up with these reports? Yeah. I wish it were as simple as us clicking a button and, um, you know, just sending a, a download or something to our clients. Uh, but we found that that doesn't really, that's not really going to meet our clients' needs, especially the people who are hire, uh, hiring us as consultants, right? Somebody who buys a report says, yeah, I have this location at 123 Main Street. I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with it, right? I'm pretty seriously considering this location for my practice, but I want to know what you see in this market. Is this a good location or not? So we have an in-house research team. They're constantly looking across the entire country, 40 hours a week, uh, to make sure that our database of practices is up to date. It'd be awesome for us if that existed somewhere, but unfortunately there is not a nationwide database of practices. So they're always going around seeing, did a new practice open in this area? Did one close? Did one relocate? Um, we have them then for each report actually verify, re-verify that whole area. So we know that that data is as fresh as possible. Um, and then the demographic data we update annually, that's kind of the gold standard. So, um, we've got 2023 demographic data. Uh, and then when we actually write a report, one of our analysts, it might be me, it might be my colleague, Kevin, uh, we'll sit down and analyze, uh, what we see in that market. We'll read what you told us about your vision and your practice strategy so that everything is customized in that way. Um, so it's, it's very, uh, labor intensive and that's that consulting element. For those who are looking for something that um, you know is maybe a higher volume, they don't want to uh, pay us to sit down every single time and read the data and tell them what it means. Uh, that's probably where our software comes in. Now, there's a free tier of our of our software as well. So if you're a little bit earlier in the search process and you, process and you kind of just want some data to get started, that could be a good tool for you too. Mm -hmm. I wonder if this is something. Uh, I'm not an AI expert or anything, but I wonder if like chat be chat. GPT and all this AI uh, advancement is somehow going to be something you guys could harness going forward that would maybe help like facilitate speeding up the process on your end. It seems like something that could be helpful for you guys. Yeah, we, we have looked into uh, AI a little bit, and I think it's something that is probably coming for our industry, just like it is for a lot of other industries. I think the challenge right now for us is that the decisions are so important that you don't want the GPT to hallucinate, right? And say, this number is good. And then somebody signs a lease for you know a, a lot of money, or they buy a practice for a lot of money. And it was based off of a hallucination. So that's why we've still got that human element. I think there are maybe some autom um, automations uh, that might come to be from AI uh, or some other things where AI can help in the process. But at this point, I think like a lot of under other industries, it's still AI helps. It's, you know, the co-pilot, but ultimately there's still a pilot to make sure that the plane lands safely. That's cool. I, I like, I've seen a couple of your reports of um, a few of my buddies and listeners have, have showed me like, Hey, what do you think about this? And, and uh, you know what I'm comparing two different spots. Like I can't make up my mind. Do I practice on this side of town or do I practice in this little community? Um, but I like at the end of your guys's reports, you guys have like a summary page at the end, mm -hmm. you know, that really nicely outlines like pros and cons of the area 
if I remember right, I think you've got like, don't you guys have like a zero to 10 scale of something of like a, like you guys have put a composite score mm-hmm. with these sites to actually quantify, like in your, to your point, not like a computerized opinion, but like an actual expert, like demographic expert, like you guys put an opinion on like, this is our, what yeah. I don't, do you have a name for it, like a suitability score or something like that you put with each? You know, we've, we've, we've talked about that. Um, but we don't have a, a name for it. We just say, you know, we would rate this location as average, above average, strong, very strong, very weak, wherever on that spectrum it falls. And um, we've even contemplated, is there some sort of score? You get an 8.6 based off of a median household income of X and an average household size of Y. Uh, but what we found is that one, um, everyone's looking for something a little bit different. And two, those numbers can mean different things, right? A median household income of $100,000 a year in San Francisco is low income. In most of the country, a median household income of $100,000 a year is a high income area. So what we've kind of found is that the world is pretty, it can be pretty complex. And so um, rather than just sort of giving an automated score, we like to actually sit down and tell you, okay, yep, that number might look good. Um, you know, if you read on Dentaltown or a Facebook group or something, somebody might say, oh, that number's awesome. But look, here's why that number looks so good. And we think it might be misleading. I gotcha. Um, yeah, that's helpful. So, you know, when you guys look at all these reports, uh, Lord knows how many thousands you've probably done. How often do you see a report that comes back that's, you know, a doctor and we, we don't have to be Pete specific quite yet, but like in general, how often are you seeing like you know, and obviously these are subjective, but like nine, 10, eight, nine, 10, like really high ranking scores or do most, most dentists want to like get into the same kind of competitive marketplaces and you just see lots of three through sixes, or do you see a lot of dentists trying to really look for those like eight, nine, tens out there? Yeah. So we do try to, um, utilize kind of a normal distribution on our scores so that, um, you know, those three through sixes are the most common scores. Um, and we try to reserve the nines and the tens for the truly, really great to exceptional locations. Uh, they're out there, but you're right that a lot of doctors are interested in the same areas. And there are a couple of reasons for that. Um, some of which I think, you know, if you heard me say that you might think, oh, well, I'm willing to go anywhere, you know, just tell me where the best area is. But I actually don't think that that is the case for most of our clients. Usually when somebody comes to us with that, um, it's a little bit earlier in their search process. And as soon as we start, you know, going through like, okay, lifestyle amenities, um, do you want to be near an airport or restaurants? Do you want to be near the beach, somewhere warm, family and friends, right? Cause this isn't like a job you're going to be working at for a year or two where you can just go back and visit family whenever, especially once you've got a family of your own. Um, we see that that really narrows it down for a lot of people to typically just a couple of areas. Um, I think also that there's a lot of interest in, kind of these high growth, um, higher upper middle to higher income markets. So we see a lot of that. And look, if that's the right patient base for you, if that's your vision, then I, I shouldn't tell you, you know, go to a low income market where um, you don't really know how to run a practice in that area. Or even if you do, it's not your vision for the practice. So what's the point of being a practice owner if after two or three years, you're going to be so burned out in this super high volume Medicaid practice? Sure. Sure. What are the, what are the cities you see the most of, you know, these high growth areas you could probably guess, but you know, are there a handful of cities where it's like, Oh, another, another Austin, Texas, or like another (laughs) Colorado, like what are the handful of like big ones you spend a lot of time on? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of correlation with growth. Now, part of that of course, is that there are lots of people moving to those areas, both non-dentists and dentists. So, you know, that kind of explains some of that. 
but we see a lot in Texas. Um, the DFW area is pretty popular for us. Austin is pretty popular too. Um, Florida, Tampa, and Orlando, we work in a lot. Um, I think there's also a perception of certain markets that, hey, they're already so oversaturated or so competitive. Um, and we see that with like South Florida, you know, the Miami side, Fort Lauderdale, that area. Um, but yeah, a lot in Texas, a lot in Florida, North Carolina, Georgia, um, Colorado. I would say those are our big ones that we just do a ton of business in. Okay. Some belt states, it sounds like you see a lot there. Sun so belt, yeah. Frontier. Yeah. Um, so maybe if we can kind of get into more meat and potatoes, like pediatric specific, and I, I don't know how, um, how easy it is for you to kind of discern like pediatric specific versus like you know, general dentist office. And obviously it's two different demographics, but, mm -hmm. um, ultimately what I wanted to spend plenty of time talking about was what, what kind of like call it high level, um, trends you're seeing with like pediatric dentists, like where are you doing a lot of reports at? Where do you see a lot of dentists trying to go, uh, pediatric dentists going? And then are there areas ultimately what I'd like to know in your opinion, like particular areas of the country that you think have a lot of opportunity that you see, um, so just to, to shift, shift the focus here to pediatric and tell me what you think there. Yeah. So, um, there's a big difference of course, between what we're looking for from a pediatric perspective versus a general dental perspective versus a periodontal perspective. Um, one big obvious thing is that our potential patient base for us, for pediatrics, typically we're looking for residents age zero to 11. Yeah, obviously there are a lot of patients who come in over that 11 age range, but that's really the core for most practices. And it also is going to help the practice uh, grow into the future. Um, so they'll, they'll, those patients will stick around a little bit longer. Now, if we just went down to Florida and we looked at how many people live in this area relative to the number of pediatric dental offices, you go to the villages, Florida, it's a big retirement community, right? Um, it's going to look great on paper. Hey, there are a hundred thousand people or however many people live in the villages and man, there's, there isn't a single pediatric dental office. That's awesome. And then you realize the median age is like 82. Uh, so, um, we do want to narrow down our potential market. I know that one sounds obvious, but we've seen it out there a few times where people haven't done that. Um, where I would say we see trends in terms of pediatric dentists going, um, yeah, there's, there's a good amount of activity in Florida, but as I mentioned, because it's more of a, um, retirement market, I think that this one skews a little bit more toward, um, Texas, toward Georgia, uh, North Carolina. Um, and there's absolutely opportunity in those areas, especially in suburban markets in those States. Um, we also though, um, so some areas that I think are under, uh, utilized or, um, maybe, we don't see enough people going to are um, actually in kind of like the upper Midwest, the Northeast areas that you don't think of as growing, but because they're not growing, we don't see a lot of new practices opening in those areas. And the practices that we do see in those markets tend to be a different practice than what we see in Texas or Florida, where the practice opened two years ago and they're doing tons of marketing, right? They're still trying to grow their office. The practice owner themselves is really ambitious. Whereas when you get up into Michigan, Ohio, Massachusetts, you're going to find that generally, you know, the doctor maybe is a little bit closer to the end of their career. They're not as doing, they're not doing as much marketing. They only want to be there two or three days a week because they want to hang out with their grandkids. Um, and so, yeah, it's a competitor on paper, but you know, it's not the same type of competition that you would see elsewhere. So obviously we're speaking in really general terms here. Like the entire state of Texas is such a huge, huge place to talk about that I don't want somebody to hear this and think like, oh, anywhere I go in Texas is going to be awesome because there are thousands of sub markets across Texas. 
Um, but yeah, generally, I think the submarkets that I would probably spend a little bit more time looking at if I were a pediatric dentist, actually, are maybe some of those areas that other people haven't thought of as much recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the things you t- touched on was the income thing a little bit earlier. That might be something I might have you speak on because um, it, it seems like people really highlight, you know, that seems to be a top of the list is like household income in this area is, you know, a hundred you know, whatever, 150 grand, it's high and, and people base that. But I, I've always thought in pediatrics that like that maybe seems a little bit less weighted in my opinion. Um, and that may very obviously, like you said, depending on the type of office you have, but, uh, are there ever times when you see an area that you'll do a report on and say, okay, you kind of summarize at the end, like maybe the income in this area isn't high, but we think it's well made up for because of either demand or because of like the age structure or something like that. Like, well, how does income factor into a, to a PEDS demographic? Yeah. So for pediatric practices, we actually care a little bit less about income than we do for general or endo uh, because public benefits tend to be a little bit better. And that tends to be for our typical client, um, a little bit bigger piece of their practice strategy um, than it does for the typical endodontist or the typical general dentist. Obviously, everyone's got different practice strategies, and this is going to vary from state to state. Um, but we do put a little bit less weighting on making sure that um, household income levels are high enough. Not that we're going to put zero on it, and we want to make sure that we're, we've got the right fit with your target patient base. Uh, but there are all kinds of scenarios out there. Um, one would be like an area that's gentrifying, right? So we've got different populations living in the area. And what we tend to see in those types of markets is, yeah, there are lots of young professionals living in those areas and they've got all the income in the world. Um, You know, I live in New York. There are tons of neighborhoods full of people in their 20s and 30s working in finance and tech and all kinds of stuff. But you know what happens? It's the same reason my wife and I are moving to Baltimore. They get to a certain age. They want to leave for the suburbs, um, whether that's the New Jersey, Long Island, Westchester, um, or, you know, somewhere else. And so, yeah, you've got kids in strollers um, and younger, but especially once they start getting a little bit older and we start thinking about school, we see a lot of them leave. So um, who is left past that age range in terms of, you know, five plus, um, those income levels, usually we tend to see really at really, really high levels, the people who are going to raise their kids in New York City in a comfortable environment um, or much lower levels. uh, And you're going to see a lot more Medicaid and CHIP. Do you know uh, if you had to like shoot from the hip guess, like what percentage of pediatric dentists that come to you that say, you know, I want to start a fee for service practice and that's my, my demographic I want to target versus like, I like seeing Medicaid. I want to see more, you know, public aid. I I like being busy. You know, are you able to quantify what percentage you think you're seeing of, of each one right now? I think people who say I want a fee for service practice immediately or almost immediately, right? Within six months. Cause some people will start off taking Medicaid and insurance and just kind of whittle it down over time. And that's probably the most common thing that we see. I think on the pediatric side, that realistically probably makes up 70, 80%. The people who start with everything and whittle it down over time. Um, the, the aspiring practice owner who comes to us on the pediatric side and says, from the get-go, I want fee for service. It's pretty minimal, to be honest, probably 5%, maybe 10%, not not a lot. Okay. Yeah. It seems to be a difference between like peds in general. Cause you see a, see those guys, like I was just, I want to be a full mouth rehab, you know, cosmetic, like all on four, you know, high dollar mm-hmm. out of pocket case. And uh, to your point, like that just doesn't seem to be as relevant in pediatric dentistry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And part of that is market size, right? So like if you're a general dentist in a big metropolitan area, 
you have a pool of hundreds of thousands or millions of potential patients to draw from. So if you want to target 1% or 3% or whatever, right? You want to do something really specialized. It could just be, I want to have a fee for service practice. It could be, um, you know, arches, whatever, something that's super reconstructive. But if you're working with only really kids, you've already narrowed that audience down by like 80%. So you're going to have to be a little bit more general to make that business model viable than you would if you're working with, you know, nearly a hundred percent of the population. I gotcha. So what, uh, what maybe specific demographic features do you like to see in an area? If a, if a pediatric dentist comes to you and they're, they are a bit garden variety, like I'm, um, I want to start my own practice from scratch and let's say they haven't figured out exactly where they want to go. You know, maybe they're like, I want to be in the Midwest. I want to be on the East coast, like general, they can give you a big picture area, but they want to go where they're going to be successful. Like what, what are going to be some of the features that let them score higher? Like, do you have um, ratios that you like of, of, you know, pediatric dentists to certain number of kids? Do you have like a certain population size in a certain county that maybe gets too small? Um, so like, what, what are some ideal demographic features you like to see for most pediatric dentists? Yeah. Well, you did a great job hitting on the two biggest ones. So for us, the number one thing is population density. So I don't care how good of a practice owner you are or how good of a practitioner you are. If there isn't a market for your service or, or for any business, right? If you're, you sell shoes, but there isn't a market for shoes in that area, it's going to be really, really hard to have a successful business. So that's the number one thing. And um, a lot of times people kind of think like, oh, there's so much competition. And yeah, we absolutely care about competition. That's actually the third most important thing from our perspective. Um, but the number one, number one thing I care is, is there a market for care? Number two is going to be, is there a market for your type of practice? Can your practice strategy, your vision work in that area? It's just really not going to be sustainable. It's not going to be fun. It defeats the purpose of practice ownership. Like we talked about earlier, if you're opening in an area knowing, ah, that's not really the type of practice that I want. Um, and then, as I said, number three is competition. A lot of times this surprises people um, that growth isn't a little bit higher. I put growth fourth or fifth on that list. Um, and we can talk about that more uh, in a minute, but um, specifically what I'd be looking for in terms of kids zero to 11, that number is going to vary based off of things like income and population density. So if the median household income in the area is $50,000 a year, what we consider competitive is very different from if the median household income in the area is $150,000 a year, or if there are 100,000 kids living in that market, as opposed to 3,000 kids. So typically, you know, those numbers that we're looking for are going to range uh, in terms of that ratio between about 2000 kids, zero to 11 per pediatric dental office and 3000 kids. Um, but it can get quite a bit higher depending on income, depending on density, depending on who the competing practices are. Um, all of those are going to play a role in the way that we look at that figure. Do you guys have a way, a way, uh, in your research to kind of look at that competition? If some, let's say if somebody comes to you and says like, I want to work in a suburban area close to family, but I'm nervous because there's six other pediatric dentists in this population of a couple hundred thousand people or whatever. Will you guys actually like try to look into the practices and then say like, okay, well this one particular practice, the, you know, they're not open full time. This one's a satellite. Mm -hmm. will, will your research kind of shed light on that in general? Or are you kind of just putting like a pin, but like, do you look at it at that level? I suppose. Yeah. So, um, all of what you're describing there is what we call character of competition, not just how many offices are there in an area, but then who are those offices? Uh, so there are certain elements that we can look at. 
uh, primarily around their digital footprint. So do they have a website? Does that website perform well on Google? Um, are they running ads? Are they spending money on Google? Um, things that we would love to be able to include, um, or, or there are other things that we would love to be able to include, but unfortunately practices just don't have to report it. Um, so we'd like to know, and I encourage our clients at the end of our search process, if there are still questions about who those offices are to investigate, Hey, how many hours a week, how many doctor hours really are there in a typical week at that practice? Because it might be three doctors. One of them's there five days a week. One of them's there three days a week. And one of them's there one day a week. Um, which insurances do they accept? Um, how do they differentiate themselves? And not all of this, as you can imagine, is quantifiable, right? Some of it is like a qualitative description of that practice. And so that really gets back to, as we were talking earlier about, um, we want a human to sit down and say, well, yeah, on paper, it looks competitive, but you know what? If you look at who these practices are, one of them's not a good marketer. Um, one of them has a bad reputation. So yeah, on paper, it looks competitive, but actually you might be able to do a good job in that area. Mm -hmm. uh, th this is something, I don't know how to phrase this as a question, but I feel like it's worth bringing up and mentioning because it, it's, I'm sure an issue you guys run into, um, you know, family being an issue, like when, when people come to you and want to go start a practice in places, um, you know, how often do you have people that try to get wild on, I just want to go where I can be as busy as possible, make the most money type of thing. And then they kind of throw things aside like family and lifestyle and like happiness in that location yeah. versus like maybe those same people burn themselves out and wind up like this was a mistake. Like, because they, they go when they don't have kids. And then when they have kids, they're significant others. Like, man, we got to be closer to family. Like just maybe yeah. shed a little light on that side of the conversation. So I don't think that we get a ton of those anymore where people say, you know, I grew up in Southern California uh, and I love being near the mountains and the beach and, you know, everything that Southern California has to offer. Um, but sure, I'll move to rural North Dakota and, or, or vice versa, right? I grew up in rural North Dakota and I love um, being out in the woods, but I'll move to Southern California if you just tell me it's good. Um, we don't get a ton of that. Um, I think we do see a decent number of younger doctors though, or associates, um, you know, who are starting their first practice, who um, maybe moved to Austin or whatever, because they've been there a couple of times and they really liked it. Um, and then I think they start the practice. Uh, but then, as you said, you know, three, four, five, 10 years down the line, whatever, they've got kids, um, their own parents are getting older, right? A lot of people who are starting their practices are in their thirties, parents start getting up there. And so they want to be around their family. Um, so I don't think that we have, and maybe this is a reflection of the way that people have prioritize work-life balance and that sort of thing over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, whatever. Um, but I don't think we have a ton of people who say, I'll go anywhere. Um, but I think we do probably have a decent number of people who start somewhere and then five or 10 years down the line decide, um, maybe planned or unplanned, um, to relocate. Uh, so that was a, that was a good answer to that question. Um, I was writing a note down here. So next one I got for you, as we start rounding things out, um, uh, I thought this might be kind of a creative one. I was going to see if you could describe to me your ideal practice location or demographic for a pediatric dentist. And I know this is kind of more all encompassing of the things we talked about, but like if you were a pediatric dentist and you needed to go start a practice somewhere and maybe we're very flexible or like you didn't need to live in any one particular part of the country, but like you, um, like if you were looking for an ideal community? Like what would that community look like as far as a general? And this may be hard because you probably don't get to see what practices look like five years from now and like how, you know, how, how much 
once you give them that information, you maybe, I don't know how much you get to see the backside of it for like how successful did that person end up being. But I'm just curious, like, since you've done this so much, like what, what in your opinion is the ideal practice look like? Like I, for example, like I, I would say like, I think, um, Montana and this amount and this or Washington possibly or this part of the country. And I'd look for a community of this many people with this many dentists. And like, I think that's just prime for a really good practice. Like, I'm just trying to see if you could kind of get specific for me. Yeah. So, uh, while growth for me is not the most important variable or the second most or the third most important, even variable, um, it is what we see often leads to opportune conditions. And the reason for that is that nobody's going to put a business of any type, let alone a pediatric dental practice, out in the middle of nowhere where there are no patients, right? Nobody's even going to build commercial real estate out there because they know no business is interested in coming here because nobody lives out here. Now, when you see these areas, though, that have these communities that pop up kind of overnight or relatively quickly over the span of just a couple of years, all of a sudden, there's an opportunity to be the first or at least among the first practices to open in those markets we also tend to see that newer growth areas tend to, increasingly so even, um, cater, those homes are catered toward upper middle and higher income households, which I would say is probably the most common um, target patient base that our clients have, at least middle income. Um, it's just really, really difficult to build homes cheap enough that um, you can build new builds without any kind of government subsidy or anything um, for kind of like lower middle income or low income households. So a lot of times those end up being markets that value their dental health. They've got um, you know the income to be able to afford care. So treatment acceptance rates are going to be a little bit higher. Um, they are areas also then where you can see uh, that there's not a lot of competition, maybe historically zero pediatric dental offices in that area. And then once you open, that has this effect where other people then are like, oh, well, you know, Dr. Kent just opened up there six months ago. I don't want to open next to him. Um, and then in addition to that, if you can get from a real estate perspective, so we studied the market side. We want you to balance the site selection process though with um, market conditions and the real estate side. So from the real estate side, if you can locate near a school or a new grocery store, some kind of high visibility sort of anchor for that market, those locations work really, really well. And, you know, we've been doing this for 10 years. We've got a lot of feedback from groups, from DSOs, from consultants who um, have been able to say, hey, this location worked really well for us. This location worked really well for us. Let's try and um, replicate that over. Uh, and then, you know, we just kind of keep doing that just like we do uh, really in anything else, pediatric dentistry. Um, we find what works and we just keep um, building on that. Cool. So, so kind of in summary, just make sure I, I um, summarize that. It sounds like if you can identify like a, a, a somewhat of a pop-up growing, maybe a bedroom community, like, you know, a, a distant suburb that's like its own separate thing that all of a sudden is experiencing a lot of growth. If you can kind of get in there and set up shop and be the first one to capitalize, uh, kind of like catching a growth stock on the way up, you know, kind of get in there and, and capitalize on that marketplace is kind of what, yeah. Yeah. Easy. Just find the growth stock that nobody else has found yet. Um, <laughs> but um no, it, it's actually, I think this one's a little bit easier. Um, I would emphasize that um, I think there are a lot of eyeballs, as we were talking about earlier, on Texas and Florida. And so, you know, if you can go to an area, um, whether that's Idaho, has seen a lot of good growth. Minnesota, certain areas have seen a lot of good growth. Columbus, Ohio, where I grew up, has seen a lot of good growth. And those are far from the only examples, but I think they have a lot fewer eyeballs on them than Dallas and Austin and these areas that everyone knows and have heard are really growing. Cool. Does anybody ever have you? Do you ever? 
you don't ever in person have to go fly out and like see these areas. I mean, you're pretty much doing all this report from your, I'm just curious, like, man, have you just like seen the whole country? Cause you just constantly, like you have to know the United States so well in your line of work. Cause you've looked at so many neighborhoods. Like you seem to be very well seasoned on where, where the cities are at in this country. That's kind of cool. Yeah. 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 It's, it's fun. And, um, you know, I make sure I always get the window seat on the plane. Um, and you know, it's like, oh man, there's that road. I've been looking at that road for five years and oh, there's Dr. So-and-so's practice. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't really, um, we don't visit, uh, sites for our clients. Um, but travel is obviously something that comes with, um, this line of work and, um, it's, it's an interest of mine. And yeah, like I said, always get the window seat. Always get the window seat. Uh, Kent, I'm kind of rounding out what I got for you here. You know, that last question, you know, was kind of the, the grand finale there. Like, what are you looking for an ideal practice location? I tie that in. If you specifically, I don't know if you can, you know, these are all such vague answers. This was more of a fun one, but if I came to you and handed you a dental, if I came to you and said, Dr. Kent DDS, pediatric dentist, and, uh, you are now like an unmarried guy and you like, you could go set up shop, you know, maybe you go back to Columbus, Ohio, but is there an, is there a city you looked at in the last, uh, you know, six months that you looked at and you thought, Ooh, that's prime for like a really good opportunity. Give, give the listeners one, like one low hanging fruit. Like, I think this area looks good. This is where I would go if I was a pediatric dentist, big picture. Yeah. 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 Um, so I'm a warm weather guy. Um, I, I can't stand winter, but for some reason I just keep living in the North. Um, and I moved to Texas for a while and then I moved back to the North. Um, but, and I don't want to be biased here, but, um, I would say actually Columbus is doing really, really well. Um, we don't see a lot of eyeballs there. There's a lot of growth, um, to be one, to give an answer that's not biased. Um, Minneapolis, uh, is solid. There's a lot of growth there, not as many eyeballs. Um, and, and it's doing well in terms of the Metro area. Um, this one is going to be a little bit more competitive, but, um, you know, an area like Northern Virginia, we've seen some opportunity because there's so much growth in certain areas. One risk with Northern Virginia is that you are more tied to, um, anything that's government related. So like mm -hmm. if government slows down or stops growing or, you know, a new administration cuts a bunch of jobs, you're sort of just at risk for that. Um, but we've surprisingly still seen some decent areas in the Northern Virginia area. Cool. That was kind of the answer. I just wanted to see if I could get you to, to give a few specific cities there. So very cool. Yeah. Everybody's always trying to pin me down on that. I, I figured that's okay. Uh, Ken, I appreciate your time. Anything, um, you know, I, I feel like I kind of try to comb through things pretty well there, but, um, any, any closing thoughts that I missed slash, uh, if anybody wants to get more info from you or reach out, or if anybody's interested in like starting their own practice and wants to start the process of working with you guys, kind of, uh, walk them through what that would look like. Yeah, absolutely. So dentographics, um, dot com D E N T A no L graphics, G R A P H I C S.com is our website. Um, you can always contact us there. Uh, we've got online chat. Um, you can contact, you can email us directly at info at dentographics.com. And if you just want to get started and start sort of playing around with some of the data app, app.dentographics.com. Um, it's a little bit, um, more user-friendly in my opinion on, on desktop, um, it's friendly on mobile, but I'll, I'll say desktop is probably the best place to start. Um, you'll be able to see all the data there for states and for counties nationwide. Um, you don't even need to pay. It's a free, uh, subscription level there or a free access level. Um, that's going to be a good place to start. And then, uh, you can always give us a call at 888-715-1044. Fantastic. 
Ken, I appreciate you taking some time over lunch to chat with me and, uh, and I wish you guys the best in what you're doing. You guys are killing it and, uh, we'll stay in touch. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Casey. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Bruise and Tiny Teeth podcast. Be sure to DM our host, Casey Getz, on social media with any listener questions, comments, or tough clinical situations. We'll see you next week for another unfiltered episode.